I've been singing and humming the hymn all week. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. A shadow in a weary land. And it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Um, A home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way. Uh, I take, O cross, thy refuge for my abiding place. I need no other sunshine but the sunshine of your grace. Content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. And it's just been going over and over, playing it in my mind. So I got in front of my computer and I got different uh, versions of it being sung by various folks. And I just have been basking in that truth all, all week. But the cross, as painful and as terrible as it was, as ignominious as the death of Jesus was when he died that day so long ago, was actually in heaven more of a coronation than it was a tragedy. And the, the scripture that we're going to read tonight, the whole account of Jesus on the cross and his encounter with Pilate, that preceded that is all it's it's, well it's full of ironies full of paradox it's just uh, quite an amazing thing and we'll go through that tonight but the cross made possible the kingdom of God and Jesus taught us taught over and over again that the reason he came was to be able to establish his kingdom in the hearts of people everywhere. Now, uh, there was a terrible loss in Paris this week with the burning of the um, Notre Dame Cathedral and 900 years of history and all of the furniture and all of the relics that were in there. And uh, the promise to build it back again and... um, the president said, you try to do it in five years, and billionaires are putting millions of dollars into restoring this place, and some architects saying it'll be about 15 years before we can actually complete it, and there's so much. But it, it, it just impacted the whole world, the burning of this beautiful, beautiful edifice. And, and I think beautiful buildings are wonderful. I've never been to a cathedral before. I've been to basilicas, but not a a cathedral. But you know, Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God is not really a place when it comes to a geographical location in this earth. And as magnificent and as beautiful as some of these great cathedrals are, you know that the true beauty of the kingdom of God is in your heart and in my heart. It's the transformation of a life that because of the cross, because of the sacrifice that was made, the kingdom of God could be established in you. And that's my message tonight. So I'm going to start with Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now the word good news is, we translate it as gospel. Believe the gospel. So there's a, the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. 
The kingdom of God is coming. That's why I am here. So you need to be saved. And the cross makes salvation possible. Repent and believe the good news. So repent, repentance is turning around from our lifestyle, opening up our hearts to the authority of the king. The word kingdom means king and domain. Kingdom, king, domain. He has established a kingdom. His kingdom is in the hearts and lives of men and women. Now we're going to go to the story of the crucifixion. And just keep that scripture in mind. John 19, verses 1 to 3. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. Irony of ironies. <laughs> All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. And as we sing that glorious anthem tonight, we know that Jesus wears the crown of authority, the crown of the king, heaven's king, and your king, and my king, our king. But the crown that was woven for him that day, or made for him, was a crown of thorns. And they put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe, the garment of a king, and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Well, the coronation that he received at the hands of men was one of contempt, one of derision, one of mockery. But the coronation of victory that was actually happening was victory over sin and death and the devil. And no one around the cross that day knew that. Verses 4 and 5. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to, to let you know that I find no basis of a charge against him. Now Pilate was in a strategic position. He was the governor of that part of the Roman Empire, and he had authority to release Jesus without any punishment, and that's what he should have done because there was no basis of a charge. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Here is the man. No basis for a charge. He really should be let go. Here he is. What are you going to do about that? And you know, he still does that. Well, it's not Pilate bringing him out, but he still comes in front of us. He appears in our lives in various points, various junctures. The person who doesn't know Christ still has that opportunity. God just brings his, the, the witness of the gospel to the whole human race through the preaching of the gospel. Even through nature, the Bible teaches us, here is the man. What will we do with him? John chapter 19, verse 6, the first part of that verse. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Notice what it says. The chief priests and their officials. These were not the people that were casting their palm branches on the way as he was coming into Jerusalem just a few days earlier. 
Those folks were in their homes sleeping. They had no idea what was taking place in the judgment hall. And, and the Jews had filled that judgment hall, which would seat about 2,000 people or stand about 2,000 people, with chief priests and officials. There was about 20,000 people who worked in the temple. It was a huge, huge place. And they served in different capacities. And so they took 2,000 of them or so, historians say. And they, these people who hated Jesus because they felt threatened by him stood out there in the, in the uh, courtyard crying, crucify him, crucify him, while the people who loved him knew nothing about this. The second part of that verse, Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is an unbelievable thing. Pilate is serving as a judge. He has the power to release him, the power to have him killed. But he fears the Jews. He fears them a great deal because they were very powerful. And he thought in order to keep peace in this part of the kingdom, the Roman kingdom, I'll let them have their way, but I want them to know I don't find anything wrong with him. Verse 7, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Irony of ironies. They were going to kill him because when he was, he claimed to be the son of God. And the fact was, he was and still is the son of God. And so they, they cried out to crucify him using the law that God had gave them as a basis to con- condemn and kill the son that the father who gave the law sent to the world. Verses 8 to 11. And when Pilate heard this, hearing that he claimed to be the Son of God, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace with Jesus, of course. Where did you come from? What a question. Where did you come from? Well, Jesus could have said, well, I uh, come from... uh, Nazareth, a little tiny town. Um, Mary and Joseph were my mom and dad. And oh, wait a minute, <laughs> he he goes back a lot farther than that. As John the Revelator in the Book of Revelation opens that precious book, he declares, he brings forth the one who is the Ancient of Days. And proclaims he who is the ancient of of days to be this one Jesus. Who stands in the midst of the church. And still does today. Where did you come from? Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Oh, the irony of that statement. I have power over you. Ah, the Son of God. (laughs) This is really amazing. 
And yet you know what? We often in this world today assert our authority over the authority of Jesus and his claim upon our lives. People everywhere just ignore him, uh, have disdain for the gospel story, try to find every way they can to discredit it. And Jesus said, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So here Jesus is saying, uh, Pilate, you, this is a great sin that you are saying right now and what you're doing right now. But the one who handed me to you has committed the greater sin. So Pilate would have been very conscious of this one who's not asking for his life to be spared, but is talking to him about the issue that is common to every human heart and life. And that's the issue of sin. And the greater sin is to just cast Jesus off. The lesser sin is once he's there in your presence, what do you do with him? You just walk away? We all have to decide. What will we do with he who is the man? Verses 12 to 14. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Arimathea is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover, and it was noon. The whole timing of this story centers around the Jewish feast of the Passover. It was the time when God instituted salvation from the Egyptians for a nation that was held in captivity for 400 years. And the Paschal Lamb or the Passover Lamb was slain. And if the blood was put on the doorposts and the lintel of the doorway, an angel of death that God sent through the nation to judge Pharaoh and the Egyptians and to let the people of God go, if that blood was there, they were saved. They were spared. And all through the, the centuries, they celebrated the Passover where the blood, when shed and when put on the, on the doorposts and, and the lintels of a home, picturing a life, a person, a human who puts the blood of Jesus as his covering, as the one that he, as the force that he believes in to save him and keep him safe. It was the Passover. They celebrated it year after year. And here, Jesus, who the Bible later calls Christ our Passover. He is our Paschal Lamb. He is the one who was the substitutionary sacrifice for sin on the cross. It was a time of the Passover. Verses 15 and 16. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate said? 
We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. Now, the chief priests hated Caesar. They hated the Roman Empire. They hated the fact that they were a nation oppressed by the Romans. And now here, in the midst of accepting that which was oppressive, or accept Jesus, who was righteous, they chose the oppressor. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. What a terrible choice to make. And it's an easy choice to make. You can find yourself a slave to sin or to habit or, or to something that is just debilitating, that just destroys your life, causes you to feel inept and compressed and, and not free. And you can make that choice as your king. Is that which has authority in your life? When all this, all the while standing right beside you is the one who is the king, the emancipator, the one who can set you free. And amazingly, um, the Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. So finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified, and so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. And verse 17, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Now, this cross here is a cross that we've used from time to time. Um, it's really heavy. And uh, Jonathan and AJ, they carried it in here. And I helped them. Uh, they actually ended up putting it up there themselves. It is very heavy. I don't know how heavy the cross of Jesus was, but the Bible tells us that he just became weak and weary and tired and unable to carry the cross. The, the, the weight of the cross that he felt was not so much the how many pounds or how many, how much the, the scale of weight would have been of it, but the weight of the burden of human sin, the weight of the iniquities, the sin that was laid upon him, took the very energy of his life. He was far more conscious of your sin and my sin, the sin that he would die for, than I'm sure he was the weight of, of a bunch of wood. And Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now Pilate put it there because I'm sure he had some respect for Jesus. But more than that, he wanted to get even with the Jews, the religious leaders. And the only way he knew how to do that without causing a riot was just to put an inscription on top of the cross. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Again, the irony of all ironies, because Jesus said, I have come, and through repentance and forgiveness, the kingdom of God has come to you. And we read it from Mark chapter 1, verse 14, but all through the New Testament, in the narratives of the gospel, you see that word over and over, the kingdom of God has come to you. Don't say here or there or some physical place, but lo, the kingdom of God is in you. 
He's established an authority in you that is greater than the authority of sin that would control you, greater than the the authority of the devil who would try to possess you. The authority of the king of kings. Pilate just called him the king of Jews, of the Jews. He did it kind of out of contempt, a kind of a kickback to the Jews who, who, who had mocked Jesus, so derided him. And Pilate said, well, actually, he's your king, so you're part of this. You move ahead to the book of Revelation. What happens when you see the return of Christ? You see the inscription, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as he comes as the champion of heaven to do the final and complete work of the kingdom on earth. Many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. It's hard to imagine. This weak coward, (laughs) this guy that didn't have the gumption to let Jesus go, have the courage of his convictions when he said, I find no fault in him to release him. But because he was afraid of people, he compromised, made the greatest compromise possible, and that was the compromise of his faith in Christ and what that could have meant. And we're challenged with that today. You can be afraid of what people say with you about you if you become a Christian or follow him or you give testimony to him in your school or your workplace or among your family or wherever you go. But to remain quiet is to really do the same thing that Pilate did. To not act out of the courage of your conviction, but to act in a cowardly sort of way like he did. Now, Jesus died to establish his kingdom. The cross really was the place of his enthronement. Because once he died and offered his blood on the holy of holies places in heaven before the Father, he broke the power of sin and death, the curse and the devil. He paid the ransom for the whole human race. And he became our king. Our never ending, never failing king. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 25, um, we read this. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to those sins and to live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here's an incredible dimension of the kingdom of God. What is it like? What is the kingdom of God like? Is it about healing the sick and raising the dead? Well, yeah, that's all a part of it. But the greater challenge, the greatest challenge, is what do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when somebody says something negative about you? What do you do when somebody steals from you, steals your reputation by saying something about you that isn't true? What do you do whenever all of the assaults of your friends or whoever is coming against you? And it's like your enemies. And you have a choice. And it's the same choice Jesus had whenever they railed against him. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so the kingdom of God is not taken by force. It's not about a political kingdom. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with self-assertion. You're trying to upman the person who hurt you. It has to do with sacrifice, of suffering. Of not breathing out contempt like those who breathed out contempt against Jesus did. But it's laying down your life for a friend. And we say, well, that means, you know, you're willing to take a, a grenade in a, in a ditch if you're a soldier and save your friend because you get blown up. Well, that's not really what it means. It means that you lay down your life not so much in death, but in how you live, how you give your life for your friends and for your enemies, how you serve them, how you love them, how you take upon yourself the most powerful dimension of the kingdom of God, and that is to be like Jesus. He doesn't want you just to get saved, to say the sinner's prayer. As wonderful that is and as necessary that, that is, you've just walked through the door. He wants to take you to every room in the house. And he wants to have you enjoy everything that he's provided for you. Uh, just all of the benefits of the kingdom. So that you walk in his ways. You fulfill his purposes. You do the commission that he gave us. It's the kingdom. It's here. The coronation took place on Calvary. And the coronation takes place in your life and mine when we welcome the king and we enthrone him as our Lord. And ultimately one day, the final coronation upon his return, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Friends, if you haven't made that decision yet let me really encourage you don't do what Pilate did and just say well I'll pass it off to somebody else I'm afraid of what my friends will say put all of that stuff 
Have the courage of your convictions to say, I can't do this on myself. I can't conquer the habits that I have. But Jesus can help me, and I will put my trust in him. Just like we read in Peter on this scripture behind us.